From GreenBiz Group, welcome to Center Stage, the best of live interviews from GreenBiz events. I'm Joel McCower. That's really the core message that everybody in this room needs to remember. You cannot solve this problem just intellectually. This needs heart. Peter Seligman is founder and former CEO of Conservation International. He spoke in a conversation with his daughter, Leah Seligman, who leads the B-Team's climate change efforts. It was the first time the two had appeared on stage together. It took place at the GreenBiz conference in February 2017. Let's listen in. So, um, <laughs> known you both for uh, a fair while and just been an admirer of both of you. But uh, Peter is, uh, of course, the uh, chairman and uh, co-founder and CEO of, the, of Conservation International. And Leah who is uh, the director of the Net Zero program at the B Team, who says that right there. I don't have to tell you that. Um, prior to that was the chief sustainability officer at NRG. Um, it's so great to have you. You've never been on stage together. First time. We, we, not, since, not since her kindergarten play. <laughs> Okay. We're shocked no one's ever invited us. Yeah. Uh, do you remember what that was, that kindergarten play? I think it was something to do with Snow White. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's move on from there. Um, tell us a little bit more about the Seligman family. Do you have other siblings? Just give us a... We have a whole gang. So uh, I'm one of three girls, and then we have um, three step-siblings. Um, a family party is a big party. Uh-huh. And, and uh, obviously you two have been involved, uh, uh, Peter, for, uh, well, you just celebrated the 30th anniversary of founding of Conservation International just last month. January 29th. 30 years. And, 30 years. Um, and, and Lee, you've been in this uh, for the better part of a decade, uh, maybe a decade or more. Um, pretty much all your career so far. And My whole life. I was born and raised in it. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, where did this come from? Did, growing up as, as Peter's daughter, was that, were you automatically an environmentalist? Did you get it? Was this part of, of your life? I think I was the only kindergartner that was saying, I want to be a herpetologist when I grow up. Um, Everybody know I, what that even is? A scientist that studies reptiles and amphibians. Uh, but that was, that was my dream. I found out there was a lot of math involved, um, a lot of chemistry, and I shifted to sustainability. <laughs> and Peter, did you see this as... When you're getting into this, obviously it's been a passion of yours for, for, for pretty much the bulk of your career is a, as a multi-generational thing. Is this something that, I know you're, you're looking at conservation, obviously, and, and the planet very much at a multi-multi-generational, if not millennial, uh, perspective, but how did you see this personally? Uh, this, is, uh, this is an endless journey. It's a journey that requires, uh, I mean, I picked up my passion for nature from my mother and my father. And I want to be a herpetologist also. Um, and, and I see it as, and I hope my grandson wants to be a herpetologist. I mean, this, clearly we are in this for the long haul and we have to figure out how to remember where we came from and be wise in where we're going. So, what is it with the lizards? I mean, it, it just, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of science and environmental, no, I'm serious. What, why did that keep, keep running through the family? Um, easy to hide in your room when you're a kid. <laughs> I mean, I had snakes in my room that would disappear, and when I'd find them, I'd run down to my parents in the middle of a dinner party and show them my boa constrictor. What did they I mean, think? Was that they okay? thought I should have stayed in my room. Um, 
So, you know, it's, it's, but actually the work I did when, through grad school was looking at, at grizzly bears and I was looking at, at large predator-prey relationships. And so we grew from, I raised my children on wild stories that took place out in nature. Like when I got eaten by a grizzly bear, the time I caught a giant anaconda with my hands. I mean, they were constantly being, being we, we lived in a world of nature and, and, and it's actually, you know, we have a, the, our youngest of the four daughters of this blended family um, is uh, her, her passion in life is waste and wastewater. I mean, she is committed to how do you actually transform human waste into something that's useful. I mean, how, how old is you, she? She's 22. Okay. So she was accepted to grad school today. She's very, very Oh, excited. nice. So it's, a, it's, this is, you know, this is, I think all of us need to be pushing hard on, uh, on the next generation and, and because they're the ones that have to live with what we've done. Well, how do you do that? Right, let's talk a little bit about how that happens and what you, and, 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 and Leah, now that, that you're a mom of a two or three-year-old thing. One and a half. One and a half, okay, Quincy. Mm -hmm. um, uh, of how you do that, and, and I'm really curious because we talk about this, you know, I too, my parents were Sierra Club members, I grew up in the Bay Area, Sierra Club members back in the 50s and 60s, and I grew up with this, this uh, ethos, I was a senior in high school during the first Earth Day, so this is a part Were you a herpetologist too? I, <laughs> I never even had a pet lizard, I don't know, somehow that, that bypassed me, and uh, you know, but I'm curious how you think about, or do you even think it's so natural for you to, in terms of sharing this with, with your kids, your family, and then, of course, by extension, other young people? Uh, so, I think for me, it's, uh, I was raised, I was brainwashed in it, you know, from a very young age. My dad had an opportunity to influence me and take me out with scientists that were doing incredible, incredible work. And intellectually, I found it fascinating and really exciting. And so when I started choosing my own career, it seemed like a natural fit to me and I ended up more in the sustainability and built environment and how do you really um, create business as a source for, for impact. What changed for me when I became a mom is that I realized that the stakes are really high. We are not, everyone in this room is doing incredible work and we're not just doing it for ourselves. Um, though this is a fabulous conference and I know that everybody wants to spend February in Arizona, the reason we're doing it is because we want to have an impact and leave the world a better place. No one goes to work to say, I'd like to kick puppies today and make the world not good. Um, but when you connect that intellectual with, I have an opportunity, I'm in a place where I can influence these issues to make big change fast, and I have a reason, this little person that is going to inherit the world for better or worse, it, it really comes together and it, it hits home. So I think that there's the, the head and the heart of it, but when it comes down to family and the, the influence that my dad had as a, a role model, um, I don't think I understood what drove him to be on those planes and doing all of that work until I became a mom, and now I, now I know why you did it. Peter, you spent a lot of time. I, one of the tremendous, many tremendous things that CI has done has been this this uh, series of videos. Uh, Earth, I think it's Earth speaks, or is nature it, is speaking. Nature is speaking. Thank you, uh, with the voices of a, of a whole range of, uh, of, of of actors and actresses. Um, that are speaking as the ocean, as the wind, as, as uh, number, the forests. Right. And, uh, you know, giving voice, uh, I think that whole idea of giving voice to nature is just a, a really uh, important thing. Is that something that 
we could all be doing better and different, or uh, is that something that's uniquely able as a, as a nonprofit like Conservation International to do? I just think that we have to constantly be scanning. I mean, the, the complacency is the real, the real threat. And we have to constantly be we have to constantly be scanning for new ways to communicate, new solutions. I also believe that we are in a renaissance age now. I mean, the upside of climate change is it has radically transformed design, the way we manage to think about landscapes, new technologies. It's affected every school, every business, every government on the planet Earth. And so we are in this exquisitely, rapidly changing age of new ideas. And one of the things that we're going to have to figure out how to do better is how do we get this simple message across that humanity needs nature to thrive? It's, there's, it's, it's obvious, right? We all understand it. Uh, but we need to be able to link our intellectual capacity with our heart capacity. And we also have to really listen. And the reason I emphasize listening is because if we are going to be effective in communication, we have to understand how the people we are communicating with hear. And we also have to make an effort to communicate with the people that are not in our camp and on our side. And we as a community involved in sustainability and environment have done a terrible job in that. And that was why we came up with this idea, nature is speaking. What would nature say to people if nature had a voice? Yeah. And it is not giving the solution. It's basically linking that intellect with the heart so that everybody on earth, every person that's living, actually can remember that, that you cannot eat if the soil is not healthy. Yeah. You cannot drink if there's no source of fresh water, I mean, you, et cetera. I mean, it goes on and on and on. The ocean needs to be healthy, all the themes. And so we have struggled to figure out how do you communicate because everyone needs to be in this game. We cannot be a party of those included and those excluded. I love the Harrison Ford one as the ocean and he's basically saying, I don't need you, I can wash you away, I can cover your cities or whatever. It's very, and this angry voice yeah. that only he says, Indiana I Jones can do. I covered the entire planet once. Yeah, I can do I it. I could again. always do it again. And that's all I've got to say. Yeah. And that's pretty powerful. It's very powerful. Uh, Leah, uh, this is kind of a scary time, and that's even before the election and the political world sort of went upside down. It's just, it's been a kind of a scary time in general. How as a mom do you deal with that in terms of talking to or thinking about Quincy and the future? I think it goes back to this idea that the stakes are really high. We, it would be easy to bury your head in the sand and just say, let's just wait a few years and let this, this challenge pass us by, but it's not an option. When we think about the climate challenge alone, if we are going to have coral reefs when Quincy is my age, we need to cap global emissions by 2020. And that is huge. That means that every single person in this room and the organizations that you represent have to do something different than they've done before. And with very high stakes, you get huge opportunity and huge upside. And I think that that's what keeps me going every day is realizing that there's so much innovation, there's so much excitement, there's so many possibilities that we can unleash if we focus this incredible intention and resources and assets that exist in this room and outside of it on these challenges. But, but, but I, I, I get that, and I think the challenge a lot of people face is, how do you talk about 
this, this scary world, particularly to kids, but even, even to neighbors and others or employees, and not scare the hell out of them and, and, and empower them and, and get them engaged. Because, you know, you could, one could, you know, all the favorite things that kids have and animals and, and every critters of all sorts and trees are, you know, could go away. And so how do you instill that sense of urgency? I'd love to hear from you, Peter, as well on this, uh, without being just terrifying. Compartmentalize, I'd say. Um, I think that the way, the way I, I see it is we need to focus on the hope. And we have to focus on the extraordinary transformations that are taking place. I mean, we know that today we could actually get in a car and not go to a gas station. Uh, we know that, uh, that there are ways to farm where we can increase the carbon content in the, in, in the soil. Uh, and there's an accelerating factor in that more and more consumers through the power of social media are sharing these ideas. I mean, we can look at the dark and be scared to death. We have to be real and see what's happening. But also there's this hopefulness. I mean, there are things that are shifting and changing. Um, if I, I think about what I knew when I started CI, my daughter Leah knew when she was in college. And her children will know when they're 10 or 11 years old. I mean, so this in terms of how the world works. How, they, how the world works, the interconnectedness, the opportunity, the hopefulness. And so, you know, we need to be real, but we, we can't be frightened. We just have to, we have to just intensify our efforts and we need high energy. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that has really uh, been, if there's a hallmark of my life, it has been, and this freaked my father out because I would never go to sleep. It was just high energy. And I think that that's what we need to put into this effort. We cannot be satisfied. We cannot be complacent. We need high energy. We need honesty. Yeah. You know, we have to be able to really look at what's happening and call it out. And then we have to really search for what are the solutions. I mean, if we look at the way our food is produced, I mean, if you live in China right now and you cannot breathe the air, drink the water, or eat the food, that is not a very good place to be. And you better figure out an answer and a solution. So, I mean, it's not like there's an option. And that's what we have to realize. Yeah. You said compartmentalize. Can you explain that a little bit? I think that there's a way to channel that fear into excitement. The, the chemical reaction that your body creates when you're scared or when you're excited is the same thing, adrenaline. And if we can, it's easy to sort of just let it overwhelm you, but that's not actually going to change the outcome. So if, I, I was being flippant when I said compartmentalize. I think that there's a piece of me that can say, oh my God, there's not gonna be coral reefs. How do we deal with that? Or there's a piece that says, look at everything that's being unleashed. Look at all, there's more momentum behind sustainability than there's ever been. And you look at the business community and there's all of these people that used to think that they had to do their day job and then at night they might you know, volunteer somewhere. Yeah. But now that's coming together and it's part of the, you, know, you spend your 24 hours and you get to spend them doing these things that actually will drive huge change. And I, I find it really exciting. And, and that, um, I've got a father that's an eternal optimist and I, I think that I try to bring that with me. Yeah. Uh, and it, it Can goes I just to, add one thing okay. to that? And it, this is, I have a very good friend who's in this audience. His name is Rob Walton. 
And, and Rob is very involved with a company called Walmart. Um, and I was with him one time many years ago, kind of looking at uh, diving off of Cocos Island, and we were becalmed, and we saw some boats going by that were filled with sharks, shark fins, and we started talking about the power of transforming Walmart. And, and Rob's son, Ben, was along, and he said, this is something we should try to do. And it was a son encouraging a dad. And then we went in to see Lee Scott to talk to him about this. And Lee Scott's response was, I had my first granddaughter last week. We've got to do this. And I think that that's really the core message that everybody in this room needs to remember. You cannot solve this problem just intellectually. This needs heart. And it needs you to constantly challenge what you're doing. Constantly search for improvement. Constantly search for allies, for new assets, for new ways to think about these issues. Yeah. Because if we don't do that, we can't succeed. If we do it, there's no question we will succeed. And it's amazing when you go to any, any number of environmental, particularly environmental business events, and people go around and introduce themselves, and maybe if they're asked to, to, to say what drives them or something, Almost everybody inevitably takes out a picture of their kids. That's what drives them. And, uh, and I love the Walmart story, and, and we've talked about some other CEOs who have had similar epiphanies. They weren't, they weren't big on environmental stuff, but then they got a fly fishing pole for the birthday, and all of a sudden right. they're standing in a stream, and they had kids, and, and all of a sudden it just sort of clicks. Is there something more we could be doing to instill this kind of thing and parent-children uh, having that conversation more? Well, I, th I heard somebody say earlier today something, a really important idea, which is go outside, <laughs> take a walk, you know, smell a flower, you know, go on a trip someplace. Yeah. And I think that that's what you need to do. We've started a whole effort dealing with virtual reality because we, we have found with appropriators is that we can't get to the places where they need to go. And so we're bringing the place to them through VR. I mean, so you know, that's still the message of, of engagement and communication. And I think that that's the most powerful thing we, we can do and that we have to just constantly be focusing on that. I, can I add yeah. something on that? So I think that's something that everyone in this room could do um, is when you go home um, after you've had a couple of days to, to process this experience, have a conversation with someone of a different generation, either older or younger, and, and ask them, you know, if I could do one thing with, with whatever your, your position is, um, what would make you proud of me? What, what should I focus that effort? Where, where would you feel like I had actually had an impact that would make your life better? Um, and I've seen this done with senior executives at companies around the world. And that conversation with whether it's your kids or your aunt or your friend or whoever it is, but really bringing home what would make you feel like I was going to work and doing something that created a sense of pride in you, it really, it opens up a new discussion. And it's a, I think that there's a real opportunity to, to just have that conversation, ask a question, just say, you know, these are, this is what I'm facing every day. What, what do you think the, the right move is? And I doubt that their right move is going to be the easy move that you think you know, is going to create efficiency or do something. It's going to be something that connects that heart and mind and, and yeah. brings purpose into your work. Yeah. Um, we need to let these people go out and, 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 and drink a little something because it's been the a last long day. But, uh, but I want <clears> to <throat> say that 
<laughs> what struck me about both, for a long time, about both of you, <clears throat> and is so important to this conversation, and probably no better time to have that than on this Valentine's Day, is that ultimately what we all do and what you have demonstrated so lovingly is that this is about hope and heart. And, and for all of the things we talk about, parts per million and, and kilowatt hours and all the other many geeky things, it's so important that we bring it back to that because I think that ultimately is what drives us and, and what we all need to be doing. Um, we can, I'd love to talk and we'll do that out there with some alcohol, but please join me in thanking this amazing family, Peter and Leah Seligman. You've been listening to Peter Seligman, founder of Conservation International, and Leah Seligman of The B Team in conversation with me at the GreenBiz 17 conference. For more Center Stage podcasts, go to greenbiz.com slash center stage. And while you're there, tune into GreenBiz 350, our weekly podcast covering the news and the people behind the news in sustainable business and clean technology. For all of us here at GreenBiz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks for listening.